Former Major League pitcher Al Downing played for two dual franchises during his 17-year career. The African-American left-hander made his debut with the Yankees in 1961 and last pitched for the Dodgers in 1977, and he had brief stops with the Oakland A's and Milwaukee Brewers during the 1970 season. The Trenton, New Jersey-born Downing played on Yankee teams with the likes of Hall of Famers Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, and Yogi Berra. And Downing was also teammates with Elston Howard, the first African-American to play for the Yankees in the years after Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color barrier in 1947. At the age of 22, Downing started Game 2 of the 1963 World Series between the Yankees and Dodgers. A year later, Downing would start Game 4 of the 64 World Series against the Cardinals, and he would also pitch in relief twice during that seven-game series. Downing's early baseball career overlapped with the civil rights movement in the turbulent 60s, and he pitched during an era when there were numerous prominent black pitchers who were the aces of their staff. Hall of Famers Bob Gibson and Fergie Jenkins, Lefty Vita Blue, Blue Moon Odom, and Downing, to name a few. Although Downing had a terrific career that included one season of at least 20 wins and a career 123-107 win-loss record, Many baseball fans remember that he was the opposing pitcher on the Dodgers who gave up Hank Aaron's record-breaking 715th home run on April 8, 1974, when the Hammer moved past Babe Ruth for career homers, a game which featured Bill Buckner in the outfield for the Dodgers and Davey Johnson, an Atlanta Braves teammate of Aaron's. That's where we begin the second part of this podcast. Downing also reflects on athletes and activism today compared with the era in which he played, and he concludes with some reflections on the truncated 2020 baseball season. What, what are your memories, Al, of April 8th, 1974, maybe even before the game happened? Were you following Aaron's chase like everybody else, like day by day of the home run record? Uh, no, I was just following him game by game. <laughs> you remember when they finished the '73 season? He already had four. He had uh, 713 home runs. I think. Yep. 713. Yeah. And so he goes into Cincinnati and he hits the home run, and then uh, they wanted him to break the record in Atlanta, and they and they and I guess Bowie Coon told him, "You can't do that. You impugn the integrity." <laughs> <laughs> And the guy hit 714 home runs. He's going to hit him whenever he wants to. Right, exactly. (laughs) Come on. And he was good enough that he could hit line drives and not home runs. And then when he wanted to hit a home run, he's going to hit a home run. (laughs) But I mean, but it was just like the most absurd thing I'd ever heard. But but everybody was following that because I think a couple of things had happened. As as the game of baseball, you know, you had Jackie, and then you had this, this whole influx of players coming into the major leagues who had basically come out of the Negro leagues. Right. Okay. And and yet people had just kind of like either overlooked them or didn't. I, I think for the most part, the mainstream media didn't give them the respect that they deserved because they thought that Jackie was the only star in the Negro leagues. Wow. <laughs> and everybody kept telling them, oh, no, we have a lot of great ball players down there. Because then you start seeing the guys like, you know, uh, Ernie Banks, you know, Billy Williams. Sure. 
you, so you, you start seeing these. And, and Henry Aaron, nobody knew who Henry Aaron was because Henry was playing up in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, here it comes Henry Aaron. He's down in, in Atlanta, and still nobody knew who he was because, remember, Atlanta didn't really want a baseball team because it was football country. Yeah. And Henry comes along, and he's on the verge of breaking this record, and all the, all the re- players knew who he was because <laughs> when you talk about a hitters in, in baseball, in those days, guys would get together and talk, okay? Because wherever uh-huh. we went, and whenever we ate, we had to eat in segregated quarters. And so guys would sit down and talk, and we start talking. With hey, did you see what what what? So I said, you play against the Braves yesterday. How the hammer do? How the hammer do? Oh, the hammer is to hit the heck out of one. And that was that <laughs> that was normal normal fare because that's the way hammer hit. Hammer hit line drives. And uh, so well, he's you know he's close to the big number. And I can remember <laughs> the weekend before we went to Atlanta, we were playing in uh, San Diego, and. Um, McCovey was with San Diego at that point. They had traded him over there, right? Right. And McCovey and uh, Nate Colbert and Ollie Brown and, 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 and Winfield were standing in right field talking. And I was running across the outfield. And uh, one of the guys said, hey, Al, they're saving you for the hammer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, they're saving me for the hammer, but I'll be ready. <laughs> Because we had, we, had, we had played against them a lot in spring training because uh, they were up in West Palm and we were down in Palm, and we were down when I was with the Yankees, we were down in Fort Lauderdale. So we played against them six times in spring training. And then we had the Senators were in Pompano and the, and the Orioles were in, in Miami. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you saw those guys, saw Frank Robinson all the time. And, you know, so you saw these guys and the Braves. And it was fun, but the guys you developed this respect for one another, and then and you respect the, you know, the admiration of watching them in batting practice and how they comported themselves. And it was it was just a tremendous uh, growth period for me. What was the strategy to pitch to Aaron? Did you try and throw inside? It was a fa- it was a fastball. It was a fastball out over the plate. But you see, the, the, the thing is, is that. It didn't make any difference where the pitch was. <laughs> and the one thing about Henry is that I never jammed him. I never jammed him. Even when I threw hard, I never jammed him because he was so quick and and he was so smart. And people, people, when you watch good hitters, you good hitters, they will do things like hit, hit pitch, pitches very foul, way foul. And people say, oh, he he was behind that pitcher, he was way out in front of that pitch. That's because they're trying to. They're trying to throw the ball on the bat. They're going to try to hit it in a certain spot on that bat. And the average person says, how can they do that? Says, that's why you practice. That's what you practice, <laughs> right? So no matter where I threw the pitch, I mean, it, when I got two strikes on him, he was going to make sure he was going to put it in play, but he's going to hit it hard somewhere because he, he's not going to jump out on it. Yeah. But the pitch I gave him was out over the plate. And, uh, and as as a great hitter as he was, he he just bam, he got it right on the on the sweet spot and hit line drive over the fence. I was saying, I'm sure you're aware of how much adversity Henry Aaron faced leading up to that. Was that something that you experienced as well in your in your baseball career, going back to the Yankees and the social circumstances? Yeah. Of course, we all we all experienced that. Because yeah. Remember, first off, I started my spring training in Central Florida, and right right away, I was living in a, in a family house, not in a hotel with the rest of the players. Wow. Uh, my sec my second year, I was living in in Richmond, and naturally, I was living in a family house with a, a black family, 
but uh, you know, you you lived in the black community, you ate in the black community, you shopped in the black community, mm-hmm. and uh, the ballpark was segregated. And and because the ballpark was segregated, and I was the only black pitcher on the team, they would come to all my games, and it seemed like all the games I pitched was on Sunday afternoon, <laughs> and it would be like Amazing. 99 degrees. And the only place they had for the black fans to sit was out in right field in these bleachers, and it had a tin roof on it. I mean, that, that's how backwards that was. But uh, wow. but those were the circum- social circumstances that were prevalent in this country in that day. And that was pretty much, it wasn't the beginning of the civil rights struggle, but it was almost in the middle of the civil, civil rights struggle. Right. And you could see how, how things were really were living in a city like Richmond and, and going to, like, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, or Atlanta, uh, Georgia, how 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 things, how, you know, how the situation was. Yeah. And uh, even as a professional baseball player, you weren't getting any special uh, privileges. I mean, you got in line just like everybody else. And you, 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 uh, you uh, uh, adhere to whatever the social standards were in that area. And you let the leaders in that area take the lead there because you're an outsider for the most part. But by the same token, when you're out there playing, you you made your state your statement by what you did on the mound or up at the bat, and that that was what motivated a lot of us. It was like we want to show you we can play here. Yeah, I, I caught a lot of hell in uh, in uh, Richmond, but uh, my thing was that hey, I belong up here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to show you what I can do. Right. Did you? Were you friends with Aaron uh, leading up to that game, or did you become good friends afterwards? I, I had known Mr. Aaron since 1964, I guess. Wow. When they were over in – uh, yeah, I think they had come over from uh, the west coast of Florida to West Palm Beach, and, and Elston Howard introduced me to him. Um, he was so gracious because he he had, he heard about me and he said, "Oh yeah, you're the left-hander." They told me about. And uh, remember, we, I was still in the American League at that time. Yep. And yet he said, "You know, a lot of you young guys are going to face some tough times. Do you ever have any problems? You know, hey, I'm always available. You can we can talk it over. You can call me in any time. We can talk it out." But it was it was a short social thing. But but letting us know that we weren't out there, you know, by ourselves, and a lot of other people had gone through the same thing. So don't feel like you're the only one who's, who's experiencing these these hard times, and if, if you you have to you it, it wasn't said that you had to succeed, but you have to give it your best shot. Yeah. Your best. Don't don't shortchange yourself, and, and and subsequently you saw more and more black players coming into the major leagues, and uh, and I like to think that a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh, you know you had Jackie, you had Willie and Henry, and then you had. Frank Robinson, Billy Williams, and you had Al Downing, Reggie Jacksons, and the guys who came along, and they they were setting that standard for that period of time. And uh, I remember Vida Blue saying to me one day, he said, Al, he said, you know, man, I was a big fan of yours when I was a kid. (laughs) Really? And that, you know, makes you feel good, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, man, I I watched you pitch on television that game of the week, and I watched you say, I want to be like Al Downing, you know? Well, you kind of went went above out. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever listened to Vin Scully call the home run that Aaron hit off of you? Have I ever heard it? Yeah. No, I heard I heard of uh, the one that uh, oh, what was the guy's uh, Milo Hamilton? 
Okay. <laughs> My Milo's call. Right. Because Milo was, he would always joke with me, and he would say, "Al, he said you and I are joined at the hip." <laughs> and it, it was really, it was really, a, it was a really a nice thing to say, you know. Yeah. Because he said, hey, "Here's the pitch by Downey." Because that, because remember, he was the one calling that game. Right. Here's the pitch by Downey. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it. I thought it was interesting. And every time I walked in the ballpark, he said, "Al, you were you were joined at the hip." <laughs> I was going to say, I thought it was interesting that Ben Scully had a what I thought was a great line when he made the call, and he said, uh, a black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol, and it's a great moment for all of us. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, heard that, I heard that statement, yes. Do you remember... Uh, Hank Aaron circling the bases and all the chaos that ensued? Well, what, what I remember is when Hank hit the home run, if you remember, it was line drive, okay? Yep. And the ball the ball clears the fence, and it, it, re- it went into the bullpen in left center field, and, and Buckner was our left fielder. Yep. And Billy was one of these guys. Billy was one of these guys that was like, he gave you 100% every minute of every, every play on that field. It really is. He was like a Pete Rose. That's that's the way he played the game. Mm-hmm. He was climbing the fence trying to get the ball. Right? <laughs> <laughs> because he thought, hey, it's coming out of here. I think I can catch this ball. Yep. And wound up going and I think Tom House caught it in the back of the ball. Pitch. Yes, he did. But at, at, that, at, the, at that point, as I'm watching Hank, Hank's rounding, and my teammates are patting him on the back as <laughs> he's going around the bases. <laughs> I think I've still got a game going on down here. Wow. <laughs> And when he passed second base, I said these two guys came out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And they're, they're, and they're running around the bases with him, and that that created a lot of havoc. A lot of havoc. I was going to say that would never happen today. Well, it, <laughs> well, it created havoc then because nobody knew what their what their objective was. Exactly. And they were just ecstatic fans. They were ecstatic fans who were so happy to see him break that record. A couple of Caucasian guys. And uh, you know, they said, no, we were so happy for Hank and them, you know. And then they ran around the bases with him. And these, 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 these special uh, police who were out there, they hey, we got, you can't do that. <laughs> 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 Definitely ne- never happened again uh, in this day and age. Well, today I think television, well, they were near, there's nobody out in the, the stands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now there's no fans. No yeah. fans. Yeah. No fans in the stands. But no, no. But uh, I, I think a lot of it too is that I, I think that moment there really solidified baseball's uh, spot in the in the deep south. It really did. Yeah. Because it, it, it because one of the things I think the people of Atlanta didn't even understand is just what a difference Major League Baseball was from Minor League Baseball. Because they always had a Minor League team there, Triple A ball, and. Mm-hmm. and uh, the Atlanta Crackers, and they were the same league as the, the Richmond V's, whom I played for, with the, with the Yankee organization. But when they get a major league team, they they, they thought it was just another baseball team. And, and remember, uh, Eddie Matthews was still playing at that time. So you had two Hall of Famers there, and you still had Burdette was there, you know, Buell was there. And so it wasn't like this was a chunk team. This was a heck of a team. And Joe Torrey was one of the catchers. Yep. I mean, they were good. And so all of a sudden, it, now this guy comes up and starts, he hits his home run, and now they gave them some kind of cachet, and the fans understood it. 
said, you know, this team is not that bad. We didn't, we didn't know they were this good, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a moment. And it, and it was something, it, it, I think it, it, was, it uplifted baseball, I think, because baseball is, had gotten to the point, and you're kind of young to remember this, that in 73 they instituted something called a designated hitter. Yes, of course. They were afraid, <laughs> where they thought they were afraid of losing too many of the old stars. And, and and people kept telling them, no, you got to understand something. That's the evolution of baseball. The old stars pass on, and then younger guys come up. <laughs> but that's how the, that's how you get new stars. But I think some of, some of the guys in baseball just didn't understand that, and they, well, we got to have a designated hitter. And I, and I think that that has hurt baseball more than anything. A designated hitter. You you, you mentioned players such as or pitchers such as Vita Blue and yourself and uh, Bob Gibson and Fergie Jenkins. Why do you think that there's such a um, a paucity of of black pitchers in today's game, particularly ace pitchers like you were? Why is there such a paucity of black pitchers? You're saying? Yeah, today. Today? Yeah, today. Well, well, th- th- I think that'll change because remember, uh, five years ago we were saying things think about black quarterbacks. Remember? Right. Right. And then and 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 then one of the thing I've always said. There'll be black pitchers when when scouts start counting black colleges, because I, I think a lot of the major colleges and, and and a lot of things. Remember, a lot of the colleges that are scouted in baseball are Division One schools. Well, no Division One school is going around in the black neighborhood looking for a pitcher, you know, because they know every they can get players anywhere they want. But if you go to the black schools, that's who you want to find. Somebody has to pitch, right? Right. And so. Now you get these guys are coming out. I mean, I, I remember, I don't know if you saw the College World Series last year, but Vanderbilt play, played against, um, who did Vanderbilt play? They played against one of the Midwest schools, maybe Michigan State or one of those schools. And both of them had African-American pitchers starting for them. Oh, that's, yeah, that's encouraging. Said, well, that's, that's, that's unique, you know. Because uh, especially coming out of a place like Vanderbilt, and today you see more now because you see you, even Stroman. Although Stroman, Stroman is a unique guy because he's not that tall. He's not that big. He's not. But, <laughs> he, he, but he's a hell of a pitcher. He's a hell of a pitcher. Yeah. And 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 you know, I, I he's coming up with a lot of injuries. But this is one of those years where you're going to see guys get a lot of injuries anyhow because it's been a, a crazy, crazy situation. But I think you're going to see more black pitchers emerge because now teams are realizing, you know, we got to get these guys out there. And, and I'm, I'm watching some of these pitchers that teams are using. They're, they're either getting them out of their minor league system because they need pitchers for this short period of time. And, uh, you know, some of these guys are coming out here, and, and whether they're from the Dominican or wherever they're from, you know, you, you have pitchers of color pitching. But they're also getting some black players who are coming out of some of these black schools who are good pitchers. I think Cincinnati had a guy, I'm like, I forget what his name, big guy too, big pitcher. So you're, you're going to see more, but at one time in the 60s, you would see a, a black pitcher on almost every major American yeah. team. Yep. Yeah, and, and then that changed, and now you're, you're seeing more of it again. What about, you, you talked a little bit earlier about the social climate when you were playing, and particularly when Aaron broke the home run record, what do you think about the players today, Al, that are kneeling during the anthem? Um, players like John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Hicks of the Yankees, and in support of Black Lives Matter and and other movements. 
I, I think one of the things that has transpired is remember when I played, we had no, like I said, that was the probably the middle of the the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. People were marching. Right. People were marching. And no one ever said to the players, the black players, why aren't you marching? Because they knew everybody had, had an arena, whether you were an actor or an entertainer or whether you were a school teacher or whomever you were, whatever, whatever venue you were involved in, you were, at, you were, a, you were a parent, and an athlete more so an athlete more than anybody. But the times had changed, and we didn't have a history of what had transpired. It was always being expressed to us through the people who were doing the marching. Right. Today we have history, tremendous history. And these young kids today look up and say, I didn't realize that, that Jackie had to go through that or Jesse Owens had to go through that or, or Joe, Joe Lewis had to go through that. I didn't realize you know, some of these guys had to go through that back then. Why are we still doing this now? And they see these things still transpiring in, our, in their communities. And that, that's what's caused the situation today to be the way it is. Yeah. is that when is it going to change? When, when will it change? And uh, at some point in time, you know, you have to sit down at the table, and it's like anything else. You have to sit down at the table. You have to discuss how can we we uh, rectify this situation and get it under control because there are a lot of iniquities in this situation that just don't make sense. And these younger kids now speak up. When when I was coming along, you, you had to be careful about speaking up because they could just get rid of you in a, in a heartbeat. And you're going, they say, well, he, he, he doesn't listen. Right. You have some reason why you are no longer relevant, and you know. Next thing you know, well, he, he he's a clubhouse lawyer. You know, he's not he's not a guy who takes instruction well. You know, you're signed because you can play baseball. You're not you don't have to instruct the guy. <laughs> you can, you know, tell him where he's going to play, and he'll go out and do it. You know, you're not you're not supposed to teach him like you asking someone who's who's instructing. Nobody gave you an instruction. You go out and play. Yeah. And when we think you need some help, we'll give it to you. But see these young kids today, and they, they've gone to school, and, and because you have integration now, the kids go to school with one another, it's no, song, no longer a mystery of what each person is about because you sit down and you talk on campuses amongst yourselves. You play ball with these guys. You might be on trips. You might talk amongst yourselves, and you learn about one another's families. You learn the cultures. You share those, those uh, re revelations. And that's when people start saying, gee, I didn't think it was that bad. You know, I had people tell me I didn't think it's so bad. Like when they came out with a movie by Hank Aaron after he had, it was back in like 84, I guess it was. It was all about his quest for the chasing the dream. Yeah. And how they were putting sick and dogs on people, right? And I remember we were sitting in the movie theater in, in, in California here, and there, there were some people, this was all for like the media. The, the PR companies and, and who were going to sell this movie or push this movie, and 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 I heard some younger people behind me say, "Oh, this couldn't have happened like that. This couldn't have happened like that." And I turned around and said, to "The guy, I said, trust me, it happened." Yeah, it's incredible. It happen. like, you know, they didn't put it in there to make it to embellish the movie. The, these these were real life things coming off the wire service to UPI, you know. Yeah. And, and so. But, but a lot of younger people didn't know that in those days. Today, they know everything. They know the whole story. They know everything. They see it every day. And these kids are very active. They take part. They're not worried about anything. They say, listen, 
this is how things has to go. We, we can't have this continue the way we can, we have, and we're, we're not going to stand for it like that. And, and now that everybody's concerned, so why are so many Caucasian people marching? Because, you know, there's iniquities in every part of life. Mm-hmm. And it's not just racial. Not timed as sexual, you know. And, yep. and, and, and so, and so you, you know, people say, you know, you, you know, you get people say we don't want women working for our company. And said, well, well, why not? You know, <laughs> they're the best person for the job. Why not? And and all of a sudden you have a women's movement, and it's the, and, and 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 it's just that this is the world, and the world is about everybody taking part and doing what they can do to make things better. And nobody's trying to outdo anybody. They're just trying to add a little bit to the mosaic. That's all. Yeah. And, and make it better for themselves and their families and their, for their culture. And, uh, and I think some people get a little threatened by that. I was going to say that's well stated. Uh, I think a lot of people feel threatened when the objective is to bring about better change or change for the better. Well, they're threatened because they all of a sudden feel they have to compete. Yeah. Yes, you know, before they had carte blanche to do whatever they wanted to do and nobody called them, (laughs) and now somebody's going to call them or something, you know, and, uh, you know, it's (laughs) it's one of the uh, realities of life and of the world. I mean, you you know, you have to, uh, you know, you have to, you have to do that. I was watching the news, you know, this morning, and they were talking about this tragedy they had in Lebanon yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they were saying, well, they, they called the French because the French were always great allies to the Lebanese people. And uh, you would have thought they say well, they were called the United States. And, you know, you, you have to start thinking that, you know, okay, they, they're living not that far apart, and they know they can get instant uh, help from the French and recognition of their problems. But... But by the same token, you would say the United States usually would be right there in the vanguard. You know, we're here to help you out, you know. Right. It's not cast dispersions as to why something happened. It's, a, it's not important why it happened. It happened. You know, it's like having a, one of these devastating earthquakes or, or hurricanes. It happens. And, and, and now yeah. it's our situation to try to do the best to, to, to rectify and straighten it out because we don't want to see people suffering. And were you in favor of a season happening, given that there's this pandemic? Was that favor of the season happening? Yes, given the pandemic. Well, <laughs> it's not up to me. It's not yeah. up to me. <laughs> I, 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 I think that... Uh, I think the professional sports world, the, the three major sports, had to look at this as, this is not about us, this is about all of us. Right. It's about the entire community, the culture, all over the world, and we have to do our part. And our part is not. If, if it was playing games, that would be fine. But if playing games is going to add to the problem, then we, we're not going to play any games. Right. There, there's no way you're going to go about and say how you can go out and play games, but yet we can avoid and being uh, influenced by this this virus. You, you don't know that. Yep. We don't know that. But if, if, if scientists tell us you're taking a tremendous risk, you should listen. <laughs> because the thing you have to do is get this thing under control and make sure you, you, that the, the, the people in this, our society and our entire society, the global society, 
are, are well taken care of and don't have it where, where you know you can't go certain places because we don't know how they've dealt with this situation and the games themselves can wait they can wait you know in, in, in baseball I thought you know I'm sure they sat down and they said well how can we do this how best can we work it out and uh, there are dead smart people sitting down there trying to figure out a way to do it and I'm, I'm sure they try to come up with a a, uh, a rational explanation, but you know you're dealing with owners and the players, and owners and players have never agreed on anything. <laughs> exactly, and, and, and that's because the owners figure they're giving up too much. I don't know what they think they're giving up. I mean, there's only 30 of them, you know, <laughs> and they had they control the money, and then you had the commissioner who basically is, is supposed to be a in, in, independent. Uh, in, in the middle, and, and he basically sides with the owners because you know, they're the ones who hire him. Right, and exactly. So, and, and so the players, they come up with ideas, and they said, "This is what we think," and and uh, and you hope you sit down and you and you can come up with a a a, a, a realistic uh, 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 solution. But you know, one of one of the most underrated. And overlooked persons of the last 50 years in baseball has been none other than Marvin Miller. Right, the union head. Mm -hmm. And probably more important or just as important as Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson. Yep. And, and yet Marvin Miller would have some kind of solution because he would have, and, and this is the respect I have for Mr. Miller, he would have some kind of solution because he would have the respect of the players. And he would tell the players, this is what we must do. Okay, don't worry about what you make. You're not going to be, nothing's going to happen to your, 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 your income. But you have to look at the big picture and where, where this fits in. Right. And, 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 I, and I think uh, when we get back to that, then, then players will understand. And this is where I give a lot of credit to the football players, the basketball players, and the baseball players. But, you know, most are the baseball, the football players, the basketball players, because, hey, listen, this is, this is, a, this is a major thing. And because they've all been socially been a little ahead of the baseball players. Yep. And uh, we, we all have to sit down together. We have to figure out how we're going to do this and get this thing under control to the best of our abilities. And, and, and see, now you have so many guys who came through the uh, university systems and they understand science. You know, they or they know somebody who understands. Right. Tell them. Right. It's not just a, f a fly by night situation. Right. Right. That's a very good point. And going back to Marvin Miller, it's it's uh, great that he was finally recognized and uh, is in the Hall of Fame for all of his. Well, he, he should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time a ago. A long time ago, right? <laughs> a long time ago, and that so so many owners just. Uh, they blamed him for the fact that Marvin had been a been a, a, a mediator for the United Steelworkers for years. Yeah. So he understood. He understood bargaining. You know, give and take. And a lot of these owners never understood that because they never had to give anything. Exactly. You know, it was just take, take, take. And Marvin came along and said, No, no. And these and these are the things we have to do. Right. And and and, and, then, and then the owners would say, Well, you got to leave us with something. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so now 
now you're, you're, you're sitting there and guys are saying, oh, he's the ruination of baseball. No, he isn't. He was the salvation of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. What he, he, what he did was he opened everyone's eyes to the fact that it's like what you have going on in college now where the, the, the schools are saying, we don't want to pay the athletes. They're getting a great education from this university. Yeah, but you know something? Then the university, would, you know, how are they going to take care of this guy when he's hurt? No, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he, he's, he's a hired employee of the university. Yep. And then these kids come there and they, 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 they wear that, you know, that, that insignia for that university to play their hearts out. And everybody say, well, why do they leave after one year? Because maybe somebody reneged on their promises. Who knows? Maybe the guy figures, I'm not getting out of this what I thought was going to be most beneficial to me. And uh, then both parties had to sit down and, 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 and say, well, exactly what were you looking for? But, you know, people like Marvin Miller are coming along once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. Not, not yeah. looking for anything other than getting the job done and doing it in the best interest of everyone. And everyone, everyone prospered. Yeah, everyone. absolutely. Absolutely. What about, uh, I'll, I'll end it on rooting interest. Do you still root for the right. Dodgers or the Yankees or neither, Al? For me? Yeah. No, I turn the sound off on all baseball games. Uh. <laughs> and, and I don't, I don't I, just, well, I, I, I like these games now because I'm starting to see guys that I never would have seen. Evidently, uh, 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 where do you live now? <laughs> I live in. I live outside of New York. Where? Outside of New York. You, you just said outside of New York. Yeah, outside of New York. Mm -hmm. Okay. The team to watch this year is the Chicago White Sox. All right. And. Oh. and Everybody's talking about all these ball clubs, and I watched the Chicago White Sox for about two or three nights, and they have they have like their the lineup. The first four batters in their lineup are Cuban refugees. Okay, mm -hmm. they are better than any four hitters in the major leagues. <laughs> these four guys, okay, <laughs> and they they were saying, oh, they got Moncada, Jimenez, Abreu, and and, and and I forget the fourth guy's name. But, they got these Robert, Robert, Robert. Yep. Mm -hmm. Robert. These guys, I watch these guys, and the one thing that, and I'm a pitcher, and one thing I've always liked, I always room with hitters, and I always kind of pick their brain about, you know, what what they're trying to do. The one thing that really impressed me about these four guys is they're hitting they're hitting balls over the center field fence. Amazing. With regularity, and everybody said, "Gosh, they're hitting that ball over the center field." When you stop and think about it. That's the easiest ball to hit because you're waiting to get let the ball get in the strike zone, and you're waiting where you can hit that ball in the middle of your body, you, you know, in, in the middle of your core. You're not trying to pull it. You're trying <laughs> to hit that ball straight away. And all you're trying to do is hit it hard. And they are hammering balls. And I'm saying, yeah. oh, what? I would, I would, that would be tough, tough, tough job pitching against that ball club. It's like pitching against the Pittsburgh ball club. When Parker came up there, right, and you had Parker, you had Clemente, you had Stargell. Stargell, yep. yep. Al Oliver, you know, and, and, and Manny Sanguin. And these guys were just hitting bombs. I mean, they were hitting bullets, you know. And I said, well, that's a, that's a tough ball club because the, the guys who are hitting line drives are trying to knock you off the mound, and the guys who are hitting fly balls are trying to knock down the flagpole in center field. Right. Al Downing picks the White Sox to win it all in 2020. No, I, I said that's probably the most exciting team to watch. Now, if yeah. they get some pitching, they get some decent pitching, they're, they're really going to be good, but they're going to really they put a lot of pressure on the Cubs. I mean, because remember, you know, that's that north side, south side thing there. Oh, uh, sure. Yep. 
Absolutely. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. So, all right. Well, listen, it's a pleasure to talk with you. It's a real honor, Al, and I appreciate Chris, you. It's always nice to talk with you. That concludes my two-part interview with Al Downing. Thank you for listening. I'm Christian Red, and this has been Stories with Street Cred.